All right, kiddos, y'all are dismissed to Children's Church. And the Exodus. All right, well, turn in your Bibles to the book of Genesis. If you have a hard time looking up places in the Bible where I preach from, just go to the contents and turn over one, and you will be there. Uh, Genesis chapter 4. Uh, we will be uh, spending quite a bit of time uh, in that book. Uh, <laughs> um, got a thumbs up from a brother uh, that has moved into the community recently, and uh, the church he was at, they just spent a long time going through Genesis. And now we're going through Genesis. And so I told him about John. John had the same, the same thing when he came to our church. He'd just come through the book of John, and we were beginning to preach through the book of John. So God is direct with his message, whether we want to hear it or not. So, um, so the primary goal uh, going into this year is we'll look primarily at the patriarchs, uh, Genesis 12 and forward, but we are going to do kind of a, a 40,000 uh, foot view over uh, the opening chapters of the book of Genesis, uh, going into the book of the patriarchs. Uh, and so I'm, I'm really looking forward to this Old Testament study. I've spent the most of my preaching ministry here in the, in the New Testament, uh, and just want you to know I, I'm not going to just stick right by that. You'll know sometimes I, we kind of started Genesis, and then we took a hiatus for Christmas, uh, and we'll do that some more, but uh, I hope to, to kind of march through uh, this really important text. Uh, uh, back in, I think at the end of October, I preached a message over the relevancy of Scripture, primarily uh, the Old Testament, and then the book of Genesis. Uh, I know some people want to look at this book as, as ancient history, and it is. They also want to look at it as myth, and it's not myth. It's the Word of God. Uh, and I have found it to be reliable. Uh, and I hope that as we go through that, it will encourage your faith. Um, and so I do want to say this. Uh, I don't want to get bogged down in the weeds and some important aspects of this text. But as you're reading with me and studying this Scripture uh, if you come across a point that you're thinking, I just kind of get hung up on this issue, um, and maybe I don't give you all the answers you're looking for from a preaching, uh, from a from a you know, preaching a sermon, man, grab me, grab one of our men, one of our ladies, and, and let, let's wrestle with the Word of God together, uh, because we we need to be able to understand it. Uh, we're, we're told in, in Romans chapter 12, as a result of our, of our salvation, that we are not to be conformed to the world, but be transformed to the renewing of our mind. And so if there's things that you get hung up on, let's, let's do it together. Uh, but I'll do my best to, to deal with some of the more difficult issues, especially as we get into Genesis 12. And we're going to see that this is a messed up family as we look in the book of Genesis. And so take heart if you feel like you're a, in a messed up family. Coming off of Christmas, some of you might feel that way. Uh, it's okay. <laughs> God redeems messed up things. That's what the story in Genesis is all about. In fact, we're going to look at a really messed up situation in the very first family this morning. So I'm going to read all of chapter 4. It's not very long, but just follow along with me in your own copy of God's Word, and then we'll look at this chapter. Genesis chapter 4. This is immediately after the fall and after the consequences of the fall, it says, After Adam and Eve were put out of the garden, they were driven out. 
It says, the man was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have a man-child with the Lord's help. She also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also presented an offering. Some of the firstborn of his flocks and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious and he looked despondent. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you furious and why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do, what, if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's guardian? Then he said, What have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed, alienated from the ground that opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood. You have shed. If you work uh, the ground, it will never again give you its yield. You will be a restless wonder on the earth. But Cain answered the Lord, My punishment is too great to bear, since you are banishing me today from the face of the earth, and I must hide from your presence and become a restless wonder on the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. Then the Lord replied to him, In that case, whoever kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And he placed a mark on Cain, so that whoever finds him would not kill him. Then Cain went, on, uh, went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Verse 17, Cain was intimate with his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. Then Cain became the builder of a city, and he named the city Enoch after his son Irid was born to Enoch. Irid fathered Mahu. So I'm going to stumble on this one. Mahujal, Mahujal fathered Methushal, and Methushal fathered Lemek, and Lemek took two wives for himself, one named Ada and the other Zilha. Ada born Jabel, and he was the father of the nomadic herdsmen. His brother was named. Jubal, and he was the father of all who played the lyre and the flute. Zillah bore Tubal Cain, and uh, who made all kinds of bronze and iron tools. Tubal Cain's sister was Nema. Lamech, going back a couple generations, said to his wives, Ada and Zilhah, Hear my voice, wives of Lamech. Pay attention to my words, for I killed a man for wounding me. A young man for striking me. If Cain is to be avenged seven times over, then, the, then for Lemek it will be seventy-seven times. Adam was intimate with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For, he, for she said, God has given me another child in, uh, in place of Abel since Cain killed him. A son, was, uh, a son was born to Seth also, and he named him Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Now, I'm going to do my best to bring a summary to all this great text here. There's a lot packed into this. But just know the primary purpose of chapter 4, okay? It has to do with worship, but it also has to do with murder, it's not too often you would think that that's what the Bible is about, worship and murder. 
Uh, but that's what we see here. And just think about this, okay? Cain is the first natural-born human being on the earth, according to the Bible's account. And I believe it to be true. Cain is the first natural-born child um, in, in that day and time. Uh, and, so, and not as much, but, but today there's a big part of this. You know, the, the firstborn son often inherits the most and often inherits, uh, you know, maybe his father's vocation and, and supposed to, you know, take the name and do something great with it. Uh, the first natural-born son we read about on the earth from the Scripture is a murderer. Uh, it, it makes us think back to what uh, the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as sin entered the world, so through one man and death through sin, in this way death spread to all people because all sin. Basically, we have a nature of sin within us. And it's no different here with, with, with Cain. I mean, it's a tragedy. It's heartache. We see this, this great picture of creation and God provided, you know, a, a people, a person, an individual, a man, and gave him a wife to possess the earth, to bear his name. They were the image bearers of God to, to live for his purpose and his glory. And we know sin broke all that, shattered that. We also have hope, though, because whenever they were kicked out of the garden, it's not a story of great judgment. If God wanted to eradicate Adam and Eve, that, that would have been just punishment. But he, it was actually a, a picture of mercy that he put them out. And, and they, <coughs> they had to bear the responsibility, and they had to bear the ramifications of sin, but they were still preserved. And, and, and we're going to begin to see kind of, you know, the, the picture in Genesis of creation and this, the, the, uh, an identity for God on the earth, but how it's broken and it's restored. But then we see the ripple effects of sin and how it continues on. But we also see the effects of God's mercy and grace continue on. And the picture is for us. Because we're in that picture. We're in that cycle. The ripple effects of sin affect us. But, but God's mercy and grace affects us. There is a time whenever the waters will be completely stilled. But, but that time has not come yet. We prayed about war today. But we see a picture of the problem here. The first natural born man. And his, his legacy, his legacy was not to murder. It was to worship the Lord. In fact, let, let, let's just take a, just a few minutes to, to kind of look at the, the focus here. So, um, you know, the, the title of my sermon is, We Worship As We Live. I, I, you know, just kick the new year off. I hope this year for your life in 2020, I hope it is prosperous. I hope it is blessed. But I want you to know, I don't think true prosperity and true blessedness follows anyone if they're not worshiping the king. There might be some good things happen, but they'll always be hollow without true worship. And, and we'll talk about worship this morning, and worship will be a theme that will come up quite often as we look in this text in Genesis. Um, but first we see here that, that Adam and Eve had a child, and this first child uh, was Cain. And then shortly after, um, Abel was born. Um, you know, and, and it's also interesting, we know part of the curse uh, for Adam uh, was that, you know, he lived in the garden, him and Eve, and they, you know, he, he named the animals, he had this fellowship, and it says, though, he tended the garden. There was work promised in creation. If you have to work, it's not a curse, okay? 
work is a good thing. Uh, I think there's going to be work in heaven someday, and it's going to be great work for the king. To work and to be fruitful here is not a bad thing. It's a blessed thing. But Cain is, is cursed in the type of work he does and what will the outcome of his work be because of sin. And, and he's told that he's going to till the ground and it's not going to bear the fruit that, that, that he wishes it would produce. Okay, It's tough. I, I, I don't think it's, it's a by accident that Cain's vocation uh, is someone who also works the ground. Now we see that Abel's vocation is different. He's a herdsman. So, so, but, so Cain is following in his daddy's footsteps. Okay, good check. He did the right thing. Uh, he, he's doing what daddy taught him how to do. Um, uh, next we see, though, that they go and they take an offering to the Lord. I'm also convinced. I mean, Adam and Eve had a relationship with God that was broken. I don't want to take the time to go back and unpack all this in Genesis. I've done it not that long ago, but there was a covering made for them. There, there's blood shed for them to cover up their nakedness and their sin to be in God's presence. And that's the first picture of, I believe, worship and sacrifice. And, and I believe that Adam was, was, taught his children how to worship and how to live in right relationship, how to sacrifice. Okay, And, and, and that's something. Parents, we teach our children all sorts of things, whether we do it intentionally or we do it accidentally. Uh, our children take on who we are, the good and the bad and the ugly. And I know we can break a, a, a cycle if we need to, but the older I get, I'm going to turn the clock this year. I'm 39. Uh, and I just noticed the other day I got a little bit of gray right here. I need to get a haircut. I need to go see Karen pretty quick so I can make that gray go away. But I want to turn the clock to 40. The older I get, the more I see my dad in me. I don't know if that happens with you, uh, but, but you know my father's passed many great things on to me. And I know I'm passing some really good stuff and probably some really bad stuff on to my children. But I just want to make the point here, especially when we come to the issue of serving the Lord and of worship. Our children learn how to do those things from us. Now, some of you have a testimony some of you have a story about how you learned that without your parents, okay? And, 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 and I'm, I commend you, and God can intervene, but I want you to know if you are a steward of children, give them a leg up. <laughs> Teach them how to serve the Lord. Teach them how to worship the Lord. Teach them how to live their life for the King and not for this world. If, if that's all I can accomplish from this text... Uh, that the, the, the sermon could be done right now, but we're going to see that that is what, what you do with your kids and how they purpose their hearts and their lives now is not going to just follow them. There's going to be generations that follow them. And, and, and what they learn and do now will mark them for a long, long time and those that come after them. And so we, we see here that, that they, they go and they, they, they're participating in, in making an offering. And we see this horrible story. Uh, it starts out great, you know, two brothers going and making sacrifice. And it basically tells that, that Abel made a sacrifice of the first of his flocks, the best and the fat portions. And it says that God found favor or had regard for his sacrifice. But it says Cain brought an offering too, and God did not find regard for it. Now, it doesn't particularly say why God did not find regard for it. I think we can imply because of it says what, what Abel brought was the best, what he valued the most, he brought to him. 
he found favor in it, but Cain, I'm thinking, didn't bring the best. He didn't bring what was the most valuable to God, and so God didn't find favor. But we don't find judgment and condemnation for Cain for doing that. It's not like Cain forgot to, serve, to, forgot to tithe one month, and God just like zapped him and just wiped him out. That's not what we see here, okay? It just shows that Abel found regard from God, and Cain didn't. But Cain knew it. Cain, Cain saw the blessing on his brother. It doesn't really flesh out what it was. All we know is that Cain was convicted somehow. And God asked him, why are you convicted so? Why are you furious, it says. In fact, it says in the text, and I think it's, it's quite interesting here, um, that, let me go back and find it here. It says, did he not have regard for Cain and his offering? Cain was furious and he looked despondent. It, you, you could just see it on his face. Now, I, I just want to pose this without diving too deep into the text. We know, we know here, um, I mean, I, they both brought an offering. They both brought a portion of what they had. They were both going to church. They were both putting something in the plate. They were both spending time doing something around the church house. However you want to put it in the context of today for then, they were both doing it. But the problem is, is that we know from, from 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7, where the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or his stature, because I have rejected him. Man does not see what the Lord sees, for man sees what is visible, but the Lord sees the heart. God knew the heart of Cain. Guys, and it's not about what you do at church. It's not about how much you do at church. It's not about what you do for the Lord in the community. It's not about how much time you have to give to do something. It's about your heart. And it's about your motive. It's about how you live. It's about who you are when nobody else is looking. I mean, the idea here, I believe, is clear, is that Cain's heart was sinful and broken. Abel, we don't have that picture. Abel has something that was good and right, uh, and, and, and he, he got that from watching his parents. But Cain got something else, and it wasn't good. And, and it, just the fact that, you know, it says that he, he was furious, he was despondent, and it showed on his face. And, and, and God confronted him, and God challenged him, and he gave him a lifeline. I love how I see this in the text. God recognized the struggle, the downfall of this man, and, and the anguish he was going through, he was suffering through. And I, I see that, I've seen that in my life so many times. I've seen it in people that I get to know, my friends, my family, my, my parishioners, you know, whenever we're struggling, whether it's our fault or a fault of someone else. I mean, I love it how God is about mercy and grace and he throws a lifeline. And he throws a lifeline to Cain here because he interacts with him. He somehow speaks to him. He speaks to his heart. He speaks to him audibly. I'm not sure. It doesn't say, but it says that he spoke out to him. But Cain is hard. He doesn't want to hear it. So what happens next is just quite, quite horrendous. So after this interaction and, 
and the motive of, of, of Cain's heart is, is exposed and, and he doesn't respond to God, he asks his brother to go hang out with him in the field. And they go out in the field and he murders his brother. I, I, I just can't understand uh, you know, how such wickedness uh, could reside in a man. I've gotten really mad at my brothers before. Um, I've made my brothers really mad at me. In fact, one time, my younger brother almost got my parents turned into CPS. Um, I may have told this story in parts before, but I remember Saturday, who, who remembers as kids watching Saturday morning cartoons? And, and now don't raise your hand if you're an adult and you still watch them, uh, you, know, or, you, know, you know, at 10 o'clock in the morning. But I remember, I remember hanging out in the living room. We had a bean bag. Okay, I remember laying on the bean. Made us have a bean bag. Had a bean bag. Anybody else? Just, just a, thank you for being honest. Me and Chris, man, we're, we're, we're always there, man. Laying in my bean bag, I was a little boy in my underwear, just chilling out, kicking up, watching you know cartoons, and I remember just sitting there, and out of the blue, it's like a horse kicked me in the head. What it was, my little brother, who was only about four years old, so I must have been eight. He had one of those big plastic bats, you know, it's just a hollow plastic bat, but now it was skinny and got really fat at the end. He just walked in the living room, and he just stood right behind that beanbag, and he just did this whack, you know, and just, I mean, it, I've never been hit so hard in my life. My eye was completely swelled shut, and I remember I went to school uh, you know, that, that next Monday, and I had a teacher ask me what happened. I was like, oh, my brother hit me with a toy baseball bat. They said, are you sure? Did, did your dad hit you? They asked me that. I was like, I'm pretty sure it was my little brother, you know. I don't know what I did to him to make him so mad. That's the way Larry would operate. I probably, like, you know, shot him with a water gun six months before, and he would stew on it. That's how Larry would do that. I don't understand how such rage can, can be in somebody. I say that. I know what rage is. I know what anger is. I have felt it in myself before. Um, you know, and, and, and I mean, another important part of this text we have to understand is that though we are created to serve the king, we are created to worship God, we have something broken in us. We have a nature of sin. And I want you to know, I don't care how good and secure you feel like you are. We have something in us that won't completely be corrected until we are standing before the king. Each and every one of us are, are completely able to commit the most wicked of sin at any given time. And we need to stay on our guard and be prepared. And day in and day night, be prepared to not let sin master us and know the problem that sin has. But that's not the complete story of this. Because what else is so interesting about this story is after Cain kills his brother, he goes and he hides. He wants to cover it up. And then we see that the Lord shows back up again later, and, and he basically wants to know and ask Cain, where's your brother? Just the chapter before, we see the exact same thing. And it's not by coincidence. We see, we see that, 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 remember, Adam and Eve sinned, and, they, and they, they, they ate from the tree, and then it says God walked through the garden saying, you know, Adam, Adam, where are you? And you know, they're out hiding, you know, don't want God to see them. And, and he asked them, where are you? And, you know, he gave some excuses why, you know, why he was hiding. And we see, we see the son do the exact same thing here. But guys, I just, I just, just think right now. There's nothing you can hide from God. 
And I don't even know why we try to do it sometimes, but we do. Instead of taking our sin and taking our struggle and confessing it to God and taking our struggles to Christ and reaching out to our brothers and sisters and, 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 and asking for help as we're told to do in Scripture, we try to hide it. We try to fake it. God does not want you to fake it. He wants you to live authentically for Him, and He wants your worship to consume your life. That, I mean, that, that's, the, that's the call here. That's, what Adam, that's what, what Adam and Eve were created to do. That's what Cain and Abel were born to do. But they fell back into this, and so they try to hide it. And then look at their response. And here's you know, one of the last points I'm going to make, is that really, whenever and think about worship. I mean, what is worship? Come on. Uh, sometimes I've really struggled on how to describe worship. You know, it's not just about singing songs that we love. Songs are good, and I love to sing songs that we love to sing. But it's what we do. I mean, you know how to worship things. My son, Ethan, he loves how to train a dragon. Boy, he loves that. And he knows how to play that game well. And he takes pleasure in it. He loves spending time doing it. And he knows, in fact, he doesn't, need, he doesn't want any more how to train your dragon toys. You know why? Because he got all of them this year at Christmas. I mean, he, he loves it. It's wonderful. And he knows how to do that. But what about us? Do we know how to worship the king? Do we know the gift that God has given us is so valuable to have a relationship with him that nothing else will take its place. Nothing else is before serving Him. Nothing else is bring, takes the place of bringing your family to a place to worship Him. Nothing else takes priority of teaching your children to honor the Lord with their lives, not just their, their time, but, but everything they have. Is it that valuable? Because here's the, here's the truth, guys. If we try to worship without our hearts being right and without doing it as authentic and as pure as we can, we are pure hypocrites. You know, I, I've, I've, helped, I've told, heard people tell me they don't like the church because it's full of hypocrites. And I know they're right. I know I've been a hypocrite. But most of the people that make those accusations, they're the biggest hypocrites that call themselves Christians. And I don't say that to step on your toes. Listen to what Cain says here. In Cain's response to God, what does he say? Because Cain wasn't worshiping the right way. Cain's heart wasn't right. He went through the motions, but his, his, his heart was wicked. And, and he, he asked God, you know, whenever God says, where's your brother? He's like, am I my brother's guardian? Am I my brother's keeper? You know, kind of like, come on, why are you looking at me, God? And then, and then basically God says, I know what you did. In fact, because of what you did, this is what's going to happen now. You're going to be marked. You're not going to be able to do anything. The land, the, 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 the land's not going to produce for you anymore. You're just basically going to, going to just be without my protection and my help anymore. And then what does Cain do? He cries about it. Oh, God, don't do that to me. It's too hard. People are going to see me, and they're going to know that I'm wicked, and they're going to kill me. See, what Cain was telling God was, um, I need you as my keeper. I need you to take care of me and look over me. But, but <laughs> Cain didn't think Abel needed that anymore. He took his own life. He was a hypocrite. And guys, for you to walk around and to profess to be a Christian and, and to, 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 to go through the motions, but you're, and I'm not talking about time here, guys, okay? I don't keep a toll. I don't know who does what, when, and where, okay? Uh, this is between you and the Lord. 
But your heart, you know where you stand with God. You know what is the motivation of your life for you to profess to be His, but just to be so half-hearted. You're a hypocrite. And look what happens next in the story. And then after this, basically God still is is, is Cain's keeper. He's still not kicking him to the road. God is still giving him mercy. He's still giving him a chance. I love this about the Word of God and who God is. He still protects him, puts a mark on him, and basically tells the earth, don't kill Cain. But then Cain goes out, and we see that his heart doesn't change. Why do we know that? Because we see the, the stain of sin follows him. We see generations after him, his siblings are still shedding blood. There's still violence. And it's at the end of the story, and we're just thinking, man, this is harsh. Is this ever going to end? We're only four chapters in the Bible. It looks like it's broken. But God honors the heart of Adam and Eve. See, Adam and Eve are sinners. They're the chief. They're the ones that started it. They were judged by God, but we get a picture here that there is always redemption available. And I want you to know about that. I also want you to know about that as you look at this, at, this, at this scripture. We are all broken people. We are all susceptible to sin. But God has a plan for our lives. It's to worship Him. It's to serve Him. It's to live for Him. Especially when we mess up. God wants to redeem us. That's why He sent His Son Jesus for us. And we see the plan kick into gear because just as, as God promised judgment on Adam and Eve because of the original sin, He also promised a way out whenever He spoke judgment over the serpent and He said that there will be enmity between the, the seed of the, of, of the woman and against the serpent. There will be someday a seed that will crush the serpent's head. And we're reading a chapter later thinking, oh no, is the plan going to fail? But we look there. In verse 24, this is why, oh wait, wrong chapter. As we look here uh, towards the end of the text, and we see clearly Adam was intimate with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son. His name was Seth. And she said, God has given me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. A son was born to Seth also, and his name was Enosh. At that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Guys, um, the last truth that I want to just pull out for this text is that we have to know that God is going to get his glory. God is going to be elevated in your life. God is going to be elevated in, at the judgment. No matter where we stand, he's going to get what God is going to get. But there's a decision that we have to make. What side of glory are we going to stand on and worship him? Is it on this side or the next? And, and I, I'm so thankful to see this part of the story where, where God has preserved a name for himself and Seth, and we'll see this story carry on next week. But how about you? Does the line carry through you? Is your life consumed about worship because you value God above all other things? Or are you holding back from God as Cain did? Is your heart turned? Is it wicked? The only way to turn your heart is in a relationship with Christ. To know Him as Savior, to live for the King, and to worship the King. If you don't have a relationship with Him, it's freely available. If you have that relationship, but it's been dry lately, you need to come back to the well. Father God, I am eternally grateful 
Father, for who you are. And Father, for what you have accomplished. Father, I, I, I know that, Father, the inheritance of Adam, Father, um, has been present in my life, Father, as I've struggled with sin. But, oh God, Father, thank you for overcoming that inheritance in me. Father God, I know that, Lord, some of the things that I, Lord, took from my parents, Father, Lord, some patterns that weren't healthy, God. Lord, you are still working your way out of my life. But, Father, whenever I struggle, Lord God, I'm so grateful I have the lifeline, Lord, to know you and to praise you no matter the circumstances. Father, as I live my life in 2020, God, would you help me, enable me to live for you, King Jesus? Father God, I pray, Lord, that, Lord, you will, Lord, teach me, show me, help me, to show my children, to show my wife how to value you, how to value this relationship we have through your son Jesus above anything else that we have. Father, I pray, God, that you would tear down, Lord, the strongholds of my life. Father, God, that you would remove, Lord, the shackles, Lord, that I put on myself, Father, and bind me from putting them back on again to be completely free from being tethered to this earth. Lord, help me to serve you and to worship you this year. Father, for those that are here this morning, God, that, Father, are feeling, Lord, tethered, Lord, because of their heart, because maybe it's it's never been made right because they don't know you. Lord, they don't know what it means to be completely free of sin. They don't know what it means to walk in your righteousness, knowing they don't have to struggle anymore to be good or to be right. They can just lean on your rightness. Father, if there's anyone here that needs a relationship with you, God, for the first time, I pray, God, they'd respond at our invitation. I pray it's an invitation from you. But for those of us, God, that have the, the, the relationship, Father, Lord, I pray that we can freely worship you now. Father, Lord, maybe perhaps for the first time in a while, God, let us pour ourselves before you now as we sing. Stand on your feet. If God's called you to respond in a particular way, maybe you need to talk about knowing Christ as your Savior. Know what it means to be saved. Maybe it needs to be you want to talk about joining the church, maybe you just need need prayer. You need time alone with God. Whatever God is calling you to do, would you please respond now? Can't go back to the beginning. Can't control what tomorrow Like the- 
God, we pray that you'd be victorious, but Lord, always, always, Lord, let us be your children in all that we do. We love you and pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. John, lead us out. Thank you for being here. If you can, with decorations, we'd appreciate it.